This is your host, David Rayburn, and today we have the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Shubo Sarkar uh, at this episode of At My Institution. De- uh, welcome, Dr. Sarkar. Thank you for having me. Um, this is our uh, first attempt at recording at Children's New Orleans, so I apologize for any background noise that may be uh, occurring at this time, but we'll make it better. Anyways, Dr. Sarkar is a pediatric hospitalist here at Children's Hospital of New Orleans, and we're excited to have him on the show. We're going to be talking about an important uh, pediatric topic that often leads to admissions, certainly ER visits, um, and that would be dehydration, pediatric dehydration. We know there's lots of causes of dehydration um, and different management strategies, but we're going to focus on the stuff that is going to get you some extra points on the boards. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds good to me. All right. So I guess we'll just go right, we'll just go right for the meat of it. A kid gets admitted to the hospital as service for dehydration. What kind of things are you looking at to determine how dehydrated this child might be? So it's interesting because by the time they would kind of, we'd get the call for admission, um, you guys as the emergency room would have already done a lot of stuff. Um, and so we, we look at the basic things that we talk about all the time, ABCs, always, right? But specifically we're looking at the vital signs, so heart rate, blood pressure, we're looking at things like, uh, do they have moist mucous membranes, uh, particularly their kind of buccal mucosa. We're looking for skin turgor, and then kind of on history, we're just asking the parents, hey, are we having a good number of wet diapers? Or if it's an older child, are you, have you been going to the bathroom as often? And so that's a pretty quick and dirty way to figure out, are we dealing with dehydration, or are we just dealing with kind of decreased intake for whatever reason? What scares you more, uh, a, the heart rate or the blood pressure in a pediatric patient? So that's a great question. I would say in pediatric patients, they tend to hold their blood pressures for longer. So by the time we're seeing kind of the blood pressure changes, uh, we're, we're pretty worried that we're on the, the brink of uh, something like a shock or something like that. Definitely. The other one I, I think of too is, uh, you know, cap refill. Yep. Um, on our pediatric patients. You know, we do it in adult patients, but I think it maybe is a little bit more useful. Is that kind of your approach to it as well? Do you use cap refill to help guide things? Uh, not necessarily guide. Uh, it can certainly add a little extra data, but it's difficult, right? Sometimes you have babies who they might be a little bit cold and have a delayed cap refill anyway. Um, a couple things, you know, we always talk about the seconds, and so generally greater than three seconds would be a delayed cap refill. One trick, uh, we always talk about the nail bed, but one trick, too, is actually the palm. And so I sometimes tell students, if you're having a hard time, students, residents, anyone, if you're having a hard time trying to figure out what, like, hey, I can't seem to get a cap refill. Is this quick? Is it not? Actually kind of push on the palm and then let go and count there. It gives you a pretty good measurement, too. Perfect. I love, I love getting some extra stuff there. <laughs> All right. Um, so now that we've, we, you know, we've taken our history, we've, we've looked at the vital signs, and we've determined that you know, this child's dehydrated, we probably have some lab values that might kind of clue us in as well. And, and you know, sodium balance tends to be a, a big deal in dehydration. It can kind of help clue us in to maybe where the dehydration came from. How does that all affect the kind of clinical picture for you, Do you, the lab values rather? Yeah, so I think it's really important to look at them, um, particularly because 
I would say in my experience and probably in general, uh, kind of, we don't see a whole lot of significant electrolyte derangements. One thing we're looking at is obviously the sodium. Um, potassium is another one. But a lot of the time, unless, you know, these kids are severe or we've been waiting a long time, electrolytes tend to kind of stay in balance. Uh, that being said, we're, we're looking at the sodium. And I think one way to think about dehydration is we're talking about water, right? So are you losing water? Are you not taking in enough water? Or are you losing water plus electrolytes? Or have you been taking in an excess amount of electrolytes, which is skewing the picture? And so that's where it always goes back to the history, like, hey, what exactly is going on? How long has it been going on? And kind of that guides what we do about it. I feel like there's so many times where I go back at, on these podcasts and I'm like, you have to take a good history and physical. And it is part of the kind of trick of the board exam, too. They're going to give you all the information that you need in the question stem. And usually there's not something in there just for the sake of putting it in there. Exactly. But I guess, you know, maybe talking a little bit about, you know, hyper hyponatremic versus hypernatremic dehydration, kind of how those two things happen, so to speak. Like I was mentioning, a lot of the time with our kind of normal sodium, we're just thinking about we're losing water and electrolytes kind of in the same you know, at the same rate, or it's not kind of significant enough. If we're looking at a high sodium, so hypernatremia, I'm thinking about our water loss is exceeding our solute loss. So this generally we can think about in states like uh, where you have increased insensible losses, so fever, tachypnea, so kids who are coming in with a pneumonia or something like that, let's say, right? Not just strictly dehydration. Um, and then it could be any sort of urinary concentrating uh, deficits too, right? Something like a DI. And when we're talking about hyponatremia, just think about the solute loss is greater than the water loss. And so what can kind of cause that? So generally, it's not going to be a, a direct thing, right? There's very few things that are going to cause us to do that. But it can be a compensatory mechanism for hypovolemia that you already have because of kind of ADH uh, imbalance or you're just limiting your water excretion and therefore you're holding on to more water so your sodium is go, uh, going down uh, in your serum and so that's kind of one way to think about it is hey where's the water going am I retaining too much water so my sodium's going to go down or am I getting rid of too much water my sodium's going to go up definitely it's like I gave you an outline for this because you had mentioned <laughs> diabetes insipidus, which was the next lead-in for okay. this. So, um, you know, I think that is a special cause of dehydration, probably not something that we're thinking of immediately for kids that appear dehydrated or have some function of dehydration. Um, but do you mind just talking a little bit about DI? No, no. So DI is an interesting one. I, I would say as a pediatric hospitalist, it certainly kind of gets us sometimes. But really the way to think about it, we've all kind of read up or heard about either central DI or nephrogenic DI, right? So central being, hey, there's something going on with the brain. Um, by and large, central can be like iatrogenic. Uh, it can be idiopathic. It can be because of trauma. And then so... It all has to do with kind of ADH. So number one, is there enough? And number two, are our kidneys responding to it? And so that's kind of a, a rough breakdown of how I think about that. Um, luckily, we don't see this a whole lot, so it's not common, at least for the pediatric hospitalist. Um, but it is something we encounter anytime we're kind of worried about dehydration and we're 
obscene kind of hypernatremia that doesn't make sense to us. Yeah, I, I think we did touch a base a little bit in uh, one of our Critical Care Corner episodes, um, talking a little bit more about DI, because certainly that's going to be a uh, pediatric intensivist, usually primary, going to deal with that first. And then yep. once the patient's been stabilized, then come yep. to the pediatric hospitalist to kind of complete the picture and, and make sure that the patient's stable for discharge. Yeah, and kind of like we were talking about earlier, it always goes back to the history right, and physical exam. So on history, these are the kids who, um, you know, we hear about these three things that go along with just diabetes as well, but the polyuria, um, or maybe even wetting the bed at night where we didn't before, and the polydipsia, um, kind of for various reasons, those are kind of some of the history points in addition to maybe dehydration that'll clue you into, hey, there's something bigger at play here. Definitely, all right. Well, I guess, so now we've established our patient's dehydrated. We have an idea of why they're dehydrated, so how are we going to fix that? Yeah, and so that is a very interesting subject, too. So two big ways. It seems pretty obvious, but I think it's worth mentioning. So number one, we are dehydrated. Let's drink more fluids, right? What we don't commonly do here in the States is that we routinely are doing IV uh, therapy for it. Um, and so, yeah, we could talk a little bit about that if you want. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, there's always the question of the parent who comes in and they're worried about their kid being dehydrated and they're like, do I need to go get all the Pedialyte? Yeah. What do you think about that? So I would say I would rather them get all the Pedialyte than all of anything else. Um, and so really when it comes to oral rehydration, it's something we don't touch a lot on. I think because we're in this mindset of they've presented to the emergency room, they must need extra help, therefore we must put in an IV and kind of do the normal things we're used to seeing. But in this case, a lot of the time, Pedialyte itself, kind of little sips is what I always talk about, will be enough to kind of hydrate someone. And so this kind of goes back to something that, you know, students and residents have heard me talk about over and over again. It's like getting this concept of, of our units and fluids and what that all means. And so I like to think about, like, you know, how do we do fluids in general, right? We talk about maintenance fluids. I don't know if you have another podcast that touches on it, but the 421 rule, right? Everyone knows the 421 rule. Um, and so I just like to think about it like, what does that mean in, in reality? And so let's say you have a 10 kilogram child. We do a 421 rule. We say, hey, their maintenance rate is 40 mils per hour. That sounds great, easy to plug into the IV, do whatever, but when you think about what that really means, that's 40 milliliters, which is, you know, if you look at a tablespoon, that tablespoon is 15 mils. So we're talking a little under three tablespoons per hour. In an hour. And so when you think about it that way, you're like, well, you could probably do this either, you know, orally or at home. So I'm not asking a child to like, intake chug a bunch of fluid or anything but I think that's what we like to think about and a lot of the time as pediatric hospitalists or in hospital medicine I feel like we get stuck kind of trying to wean down the IV fluids and they'll throw up once we're like oh my god let's put them back on and so I think it's really important to think about your units and and what we're trying to achieve sorry for that little tangent but no I think, that's a good tangent yeah I think it's important to think about hey a teaspoon is five mils uh, a tablespoon is 15 mils the little juices that we give, um, which 
may not be ideal, and we'll talk about that in a second, I'm sure. But the little juices are four ounces. I mean, that's a lot of fluid, actually, when we're just trying to give someone their bare minimum to get them through this illness. I, I think that's actually a great uh, segue into just kind of touching into some of the harmful effects of rehydrating kids. Mm -hmm. And toddler's diarrhea is probably a big one mm -hmm. um, that can actually worsen your dehydration status. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to touch on that, that'd be great. Yeah, so I think it all goes back to the concept of thinking about like solutes and water following those solutes and, you know, osmol, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's really like, hey, water is going to follow the sugar. And so that's why some of these rehydration therapies, so like let's say Pedialyte, the, the salt and sugar are somewhat balanced, and that's what you kind of want. So your sodium glucose transporter, which is still working in, in kind of a diarrheal illness, is doing what it needs to do. But then you get into things like juices, maybe Gatorade, or other things with a lot of sugar. Now you're going to not really achieve that rehydration and, in fact, cause a more osmotic diarrhea. And so you're making the whole thing worse. The flip side of that um, that I've seen is, uh, or I guess it kind of goes along with it. There's three circumstances I think about. Number one, the child who's dehydrated and parents are just loading him up with water. Nothing else, just free water. And we're like, oh man, what is the sodium going to be, right? Typically it's fine because our body has ways to regulate. But again, you never know. The second part is, yeah, the Gatorades, the juices. Well, that's the only thing he's drinking. Well, you know, there's ways around that, but um, so you're going to have an osmotic diarrhea. It's going to keep on going and going and going. Um, the other thing is like, oh, things like, uh, which will have a higher so uh, sodium content. So let's say like chicken broth or, hey, they're having chicken noodle soup and that's what they're drinking. They're just drinking the broth. Well, you can kind of tip the scale toward hypernatremia. So really the balance is in our well-balanced rehydration, ORT, or the oral rehydration. And as it relates to that, one thing that you can do, and we hear about it all the time, is just water that juice down a little bit, right? And so if you're giving something like an apple juice, just cut it with water by half, and, and you're kind of helping that balance, decreasing the you know potential for uh, that osmotic diarrhea. Yeah, definitely, and that's that's my go-to is it's like, well, all they'll drink is apple juice, yep. and I was like, that's, that's fine. fine. Yeah, we'll thin out the apple juice; they'll stay hydrated. The diarrhea will probably improve because yep. they're not chugging down pounds of sugar. But yes, yeah, so I, I use that technique all the time um, with my parents in the emergency yep. department. So, and this all goes back to you know, if you're more on the mild side of the dehydration, um, and so you know, we think about mild, moderate, and severe dehydration. And when you're kind of in that mild to moderate category, I think we can do a lot more of that oral kind of rehydration than we typically do, in, in my experience. Yeah, and I was, I was going to say, you know, at least from my standpoint, that's kind of all I had. Uh, if you wanted to kind of give your, your final plugs, I think one of them is going to be for oral rehydration yep. therapy, if I had to guess. But there's any other things that, you know, from, from your experience as far as dehydration is concerned? No, I think... Um, I think that'll, that's actually a good summation uh, is oral rehydration because I think from the child visiting the emergency room, kind of initiating that right away and realizing like, hey, we're talking five cc's, so five milliliters every few minutes, you know, 
Uh, is that doable? And a lot of the times the answer is yes. And parents would rather do that rather than have their child stuck. Or, you know, but sometimes it's not feasible. If the child is actively vomiting, altered mental status, other things, yes, then reach towards your IV therapy. And then from a pediatric hospital medicine perspective, once we've replenished their losses, um, I think we should move towards oral rehydration therapy quicker rather than kind of playing this game with the IV fluids of like slowly weaning them down and increasing their thirst uh, drive. And, and I think just start from the beginning and it actually leads to a quicker discharge, um, probably, you know, so less time in the hospital, happier parents because they're not getting stuck, um, IVs aren't going bad and decreased cost, so. Perfect. Yep. Well, I, I know that the, the boards do love the oral rehydration therapy mm -hmm. question, so I think that's certainly high yield, but I really appreciate your time. Um, we hope to have you back on the show in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much.